Is that coming through? There we go. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Can I get your attention? Can I get you back? Hi. I've got to say, I'm really disappointed in our South African contingent this morning. There is distinct lack of green. We've got one, I think, in Patrick. So humble in victory, right? Except for Patrick. Except for Patrick. <laughs> Brian, yeah. Are you South African, Brian? Are you claiming it? I'm claiming it. I've got a South African wife, so yeah, taking it. Right. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is James. I um, am married to Jane, who's um, she's at the back there somewhere. And we've got two um, wonderful kids, Leo and Freya, uh, who keep us very busy and on our toes. Um, I've been a part of this church not quite as long as Sinead, um, evidently. 20 years, you said. I reckon you're making that up. I've been a part of this church 19, 19 years, so I joined the year after. Um, uh, and I'm also on staff um, at this church. And Neil and Kate, who are away this week, have asked um, me to preach this morning. Um, and I'm carrying on from... Uh, we had a family service last week. The week before, Neil um, started speaking about what the church is for. And so I'm carrying that series on. Neil spoke a few weeks ago about that in terms of ministry um, and specifically a lot of all the ministries that we're doing in this church. I'm just going to lift this up, just realizing this is a bit low. Okay. Um, and so this morning I want to look at that, what the church is for, from the perspective of community. So to get us started, why don't you grab your Bibles or your phones, more likely, um, and turn with me to John 13. Uh, verses 34 to 35, the words will appear behind me. It's not very long, and you will know it, hopefully. Um, John 13, 34 to 35 says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Community done right, community done the way that Jesus calls us to, will not only transform us as individuals, but it will impact the world around us. If we obey this new commandment, we will grow, we will become the people we are designed to be, we will receive from God what he has for us, but it will also spill out into the rest of the world and become a blessing to others. And people will recognize, they will say, this is such a countercultural movement of people. They must be influenced by something other than run-of-the-mill culture. They've got to be followers of something more. And they lean in a bit and they find out that it's Jesus. Real love, true love, is incredibly powerful. We see this, obviously, in the example of Jesus. But... Jesus also wasn't just making this stuff up. We, we also see it throughout history. Uh, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Music Festival that took place in New York in 1969. Um, it was a, if you don't know anything about it, it was a cultural phenomenon which embodied the world's demand for social activism along with a movement for advocating um, for love and harmony in a world at war. Recently, I watched a documentary about the festival. I think it was on the BBC over the summer. It's a really great documentary and a really fascinating story. Um, 
but there's something particular that I found really fascinating about Woodstock as I was watching it. One of the things they talk about in this documentary is how the festival decided to go about doing security. The security at Woodstock was a fascinating sociological study. Here's the thing, they, they did their homework. There had been a number of rock festivals um, in the 60s before Woodstock, and almost every one of them had erupted in violence. Because when you pack that many people together for that long, and then you know, there's not enough food, or there's a delay in the band arriving, or there's just you know, something could go wrong, plus just all being packed together like that, if you've ever been to New Wine, you know what that's like. Sometimes people's worst natures come out. And so they watched all the different festivals um, because they were hoping to have one of the largest. They, they were looking at what was going on. I think they wanted about 40,000 people to come. Um, that would have been one of the biggest at the time. But they ended up having 400,000 people, which is almost, you know, almost half a million people. They knew it was going to be big, but they had no idea um, what it was going to become. And so they said, we want to try, and it's a complete gamble, we want to try a different approach to security. I think there's a video, which is just going to be silent, just playing in the background to show you what I'm talking about. So instead, um, so they said, instead of upping security, instead of upping our visible police force presence, we're actually going to try something different and see if it works. So they hired the members of one of America's largest hippie communes. This is actually them. Um, to move about the people and create a different atmosphere of what they called peace, love, and grooviness. This is the only time my wife has informed me that I can get away with saying grooviness. So I'm going to say it a few times during the summer. Um, so they, they literally chartered a plane and packed almost, I think it was a only 100 people, from, from the commune. It was called the Hog Farm, um, uncreatively because they lived on farm. Um, so they, they threw them all into Woodstock, and they just said, move among the people and change the vibe so that we make violence unthinkable. Create a vibe of peace, love, and grooviness. And, and you know what? It was a risk, and it worked. There was no visible security, because what visible security says is, I dare you to misbehave, because I'll take you down. Don't you dare. It plants the seed. And, and you know what? That's a lot like the old covenant. Here's the rules, and if you break them, pow. We see the Pharisees act like that all the time in the New Testament. But the new covenant that Jesus ushers in is a lot like Hog Farm coming along. The community that has practiced living together, practiced loving each other well, practiced the life of love, peace, and grooviness, then being able to come and spread that around. And and by the way, there was, there was this other festival, like just a few months later, called, I think it was like the Altamont Free Festival, something like that. Um, and they tried to copy what Woodstock had done, because they saw the success. Um, and, they were, and, they wanted to, and they wanted to do it. But they, they didn't do the same thing. So they hired, for their security, they hired Hell's Angels. Um, so it was like no lessons learned. And, and what happened, the whole festival was just, it was only a one-day festival. Woodstock was three days. It was, the whole festival was marked by violence. And uh, in fact, I think the, the final band, the Grateful Dead, who were the highlight of the whole thing, refused to play because it was just too violent. I think there were so many people injured. There was a murder. Rolling Stone magazine called it like rock and roll's worst ever day. So how is that different from Woodstock? Woodstock, Hog Farm, 
peace, love, and grooviness. Make violence unthinkable. We're going to invite people into a better way of being together. And it worked. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Or the Apostle Paul, who puts it this way, Paul says in Romans 12, 10, he says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. So we are called to love one another. We are actually commanded to love one another. That should be enough for us. But God throughout scriptures outlines the benefits of community. The writer to the Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We are to carry each other's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Care for each other's practical needs, Romans 12.13. Hebrews, um, oh, and that was Hebrews as well. Um, warn each other of sin and rejoice and mourn with each other, Romans 12.15. And we know throughout history that the power of love can do in many, many situations, the Woodstock example being just one. So why then do we find ourselves in a world of great loneliness? and in a place where true community is hard to come by. Not just in our society, but in the church as well. What stops us as individuals from pushing in to loving one another as Jesus loved us? Community is, after all, a very simple idea. Community can be defined as people with a common interest living in particular area. So places like schools are legitimate places, community sports clubs, and people like those living on the hog farm are people actually doing community incredibly well. And so for us, as followers of Jesus, what is community? Well, it's the people that we live near to. And what do we have in common? Well, for us, it's not anything other than Jesus, right? It's, it's not our political persuasion. It's not our ethnicity. It's not our cultural preference. It's not where we fall in the tax bracket or educational background. The one common denominator with every single one of you here in this room is Jesus. So community is actually an incredibly simple idea. It's hard work and it's complex, um, but, it's, but it's not complex, sorry. It's, it's people that you live near and it's the people you follow Jesus with. And community is right at the center of what Jesus is on about in the world. Some scholars, such as um, Scott McKnight, go as far to say, as uh, to argue that the kingdom of God and the community of Jesus are basically the same thing. In fact, you can make a strong case that of all the practices of Jesus, the two most important are silence and solitude and community, because they are the two containers that hold all the others. And we're not going to talk about science and solitude this morning. If you want to find more, about, out, more out about that, um, Neil did a great sermon series on that. Uh, I think it's probably a couple of years ago now. Um, Rhythms of Grace is where, where to start, um, if you want to check that out on the podcast. Um, as a general rule, our best moments of healing, freedom, and breakthrough, and experience or encounter with Jesus are either when we are alone with him in the quiet, or when... We are together in community around a table with the bread and wine and we're here together at church or in an in-depth conversation with a close friend. 
If you read the Gospels, you pick up really fast that Jesus would oscillate um, back and forth between silence and solitude and community. He would retreat away into the quiet place, and then he would sneak right back into community. There's a rhythm, a dance, a back and forth of the two. But for many of us, our rhythm looks a little bit more like this. We're, we're actually scared to go all the way into silence and solitude. Like, what would actually happen if we're, if we're there and there is no distraction, there's no noise, there's no headphones with worship music on in my ears or whatever. We're, we're actually scared to go into the quiet where there's nothing there to distract us, nothing there to make us feel better, just our souls laid bare before God and the universe. We're often scared to go all the way into community, to actually go all the way to that place of vulnerability and openness where you're naked and unashamed. And because we're scared, so many of us, um, instead, we hover in this middle ground of what Scott Peck um, called pseudo-community. We come to church, we have Christian friends, maybe we're part of a small group, maybe we even show up every single week, but we hold back a core part of who we really are. Now, there are all sorts of reasons for this, and this morning we're going to have a look at three. These are not the only ones, but these are three that I've chosen. So the first, I think, is individualism. Um, David Brooks writes, I think the quote's up there, uh, we live in a culture of hyper-individualism. There is always a tension between self and society, or the individual and the group. But over the past 60 years, we have swung too far to the self. The only way out is to rebalance, to build a culture that steers people toward relation, community, and commitment. The things we most deeply yearn for yet undermine with our hyper-individualistic way of life. The key word here is commitment. And that really is the rub. To live in community, we have to commit. And that right there, that's like the deal breaker for a lot of us, right? Because to show up every Tuesday night means well, what if something else better comes along? Or that fear of missing out, FOMO, you know? That choice, anxiety, what about this? What, what, I want to keep my options open. But it's much deeper than that. It's, it's to, commit, to commit to community is, is to live under authority, which in a hyper-anti-authoritarian society, in a hyper-entitlement society, not just millennials, by the way, I'm not talking about coming under authority in any kind of totalitarian dictator kind of way, but it is to come under the authority of, of Jesus, of Nazareth, as Lord, as King of the kingdom, to come under this authority of his teachings as written down in the New Testament, and that is bound to come up against um, our current culture that we find ourselves in. We have to give up our autonomy. My point is, just to live in community, you can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want. You have to give up some of that and choose love. Another block to community is, I think, idealism. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, wrote a book on community called Life Together, written in 1938, during his experience of living together in a co-housing community, basically of, I think it was 150 people, at Thinkenwald, um, he says this in his book, the sooner this shock of disillusionment, meaning the sooner you realize that community the way of Jesus is not awesome, 
It's, it's hard work. It's not ideal. It's messy. People do stupid things. The sooner that this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual, into community, the better for both. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial, the man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws, and judges the brethren and God and himself accordingly. He's saying, we come in with a heart posture of demand rather than one of grateful reception. Many of us make a mistake with community, particularly for Christian community, because we have high expectations for community in the way of Jesus rather than community in the way of something else. And people who are idealistic about community tend to either wait around for the perfect fit, the soulmate, either they they wait around and it never comes because it's a myth, or we see they bounce around from one community to the next, to the next, to the next. Our relationship, one relationship to the next, to the next, one church to the next, to the next, in search of this ideal, this myth, which is just not a reality. And this can be so corrosive, it can be so damaging, it's, it's so easy to destroy the reality of what is in the name of an idealistic vi- vision. The third reason, and I think and what I really think is actually the main block for most of us is intimidation. We're actually scared of community. At the root, under everything, is fear. And I don't just mean, I don't mean, just mean this um, for those of us who are introverts. Have we got any introverts in the room? Am I the only one? Um, Introversion and extroversion have nothing to do with how relational somebody is. It's about how social somebody is, right? People, sometimes, people say to me, oh, you're, you're introverted. Does that mean you just you hate people? <laughs> to which I, I think, no, just, just you. Um, <laughs> I don't really say that. I don't think that really, honestly. I think, but, but you know, some of the most relational people I know are actually really introverted, and some of the most lonely, superficial people are extroverts. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? That's not a dig at extroverts um, any more than it's a vindication for us introverts, us persecuted minority. Um, I'm joking. Uh, it's, it's nothing to do with that. Both introverts and extroverts, we're, we're all scared. We're all scared, I think. We realize that on some gut, intuitive level, we realize that what silence and solitude and community have in common is that in both those spaces, our real self is laid bare. There's nowhere to hide who we actually are and who we actually aren't. It just comes out with no filter, for better or for worse, before God in silence and solitude and before community, in, before the community of God in our, in our community. And in fact, we're not only at our best, but we're also at our worst with the people that we love the most. If you were to put a hidden camera on my T-shirt 
or jacket or whatever when I go home today and follow me around and watch me, which is illegal, by the way, see? Please don't do that. Um, but if you were to do that over the next 24, seven, 24 hours, or seven days a week, whatever, the worst moments, the moments when your jaws would drop, when you would you know, shout scandal, oh my gosh, you know, they'd all be pretty much things that I say and they would be pretty much directed at my lovely wife, Jane, and my family, basically the people I love the most. Why? Because I'm safe with them. And it's not that I'm at my worst self with them. It's that I'm my real self with them. And I think most of us at an intuitive level, we get that this is why we're scared of intimacy, because we know that who we actually are will come out with no filter. And what will happen? What will happen? But this is how we become a people of love. We mess up. We repent. People call us out. We recognize that's not who we want to be. We come back to the center, to the plumb line of love. I had, I had a small group this week, and, and we were speaking about um, we've, been, we've been looking at the book of James, which is really fun, um, and hard work. And we were speaking about taming the tongue. And literally, like, I arrived having had, like, a massive Barney with Jane, like a massive row about, I can't even remember, it was like the shopping or something really mundane. But we'd, I'd managed to turn it into this incredible argument and left sort of with it hanging there. And then we arrived and we were talking about how to tame the tongue and how, to, how we're supposed to bite our tongues, basically. And I was thinking, yeah, I've just done this really well. Um, but that's what I had to do. I came back and I had to repent. I had to, I had to say sorry and, and push in to that place. But that's what we're supposed to do in community. This is also why the two most important, and I would argue at least... Um, components of a healthy Jesus community, or for that matter, any community where transformation is the goal, are vulnerability and accountability. We need both to mature into people of love. If all you have is vulnerability, like you're, you're totally in a safe place to share who you actually are, lay it all on the table, and there's, there's compassion, there's empathy and solidarity, but no one keeps you accountable, there's no community. No friend there to call you to a higher standard, to call you to the way of Jesus, then there's, there's no change. And on the flip side, if all you have is accountability, but no vulnerability, it's like, you know, you, oh, you watched what on TV last night? You know, drop down and give me 50, or, or you know, just something silly. But if you do that and there's no vulnerability, we're, if we're selective in what we share, we don't actually go to that deep wound that is in all of us. It's the same thing. We don't change. We need both. We need vulnerability and accountability. This is why the center point for community as followers of Jesus is not the stage. It's not the pulpit. It's not the building. It's not me speaking to you here. It's, it's, it's the table, right? It's, it's the plate of bread. It's the cup of wine. It's just committing to get together with two or three people in the church to regularly talk about how we're really doing talking about the good stuff that's going on with us and also the stuff that is not going well. 
And we've just embarked upon, I've just committed to getting together with sort of two or three guys in the church to do this. And um, we, we do exactly that. We, we, we had our first one this week to talk about what's going well, what's going bad. And we embarked on this journey. And, I'm, and if I'm honest, there was a fear within me when we had our, before our first meeting. We had our first get-together this week, and I, I was really scared because I knew that I wanted to be... I, I'm just not, I wasn't up for doing it for... But you can go to these things, right, and you can not share, really. But I, I didn't want that to be the case. I wanted to properly share how I was doing. Um, but that put a fear within me because there was a part of me that was scared. You know, what, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? What, what they think of me? If, if I confess, if they see the real me... I'm a little nervous of what, that, what they'll do. But I know that in that tender place of vulnerability and accountability, that's where the growth edge is. That's where Jesus does some of his best work. You think of all the one another uh, commands in the New Testament. We focused on one at the beginning. But there are loads more. And they are all about how we live in community. For example, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, love one another, stop passing judgment on one another, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. And that's just, I think, from one passage in Romans. There are like 59 commands in the New Testament. And here's what you find from that. The New Testament writers, they assume two very simple things about us in this room. They assume that, number one, we're, we're in community, and not just like at church on Sunday. They assume you're in a community where you know and you are known, like, like really well. And they also assume that it's really messy. Like all of them assume that there are people you have to accept because you don't want to. And there are people who you need to honor because frankly, you're just full of contempt for them. And there are people you need to instruct because they don't have a clue. And there are people you need to bear with, and there are people you need to confess to, and there are people you need to love. They assume you're in a community, and it's messy, but it is the place where we are learning to love. And I need to be honest with you, this is not something that I think I am very good at. And it's something that I feel like me and Jane are really trying to work on at the moment ourselves. And and when I list these things, the individualism, idealism, fear, I, you know, I'm talking, I'm talking to me. I'm, I'm trying to learn here. I'm, I, we, we struggle with this at times, to allow community into our lives. And I think the biggest thing for us is that fear. We're scared of, of being vulnerable to people. We are scared of letting people in, really, and revealing to people who we are really like. But on the same level, we're, we're desperate for it. So today is simply a call to follow Jesus in community. For, for some of us, we're not doing that at all. You have Christian friends and you're here, which is wonderful, but you're not actually living in community. So it's a very simple call. If you're up for it, if you're ready, you don't have to. This is not a sales pitch. But if you want to, the call is to start. For many more of you, you are living in community and the call is maybe just to stay at it, you know, when it's hard. Or maybe it's to 
love that person that right now you just want to gossip about and avoid. Or maybe it's to have the hard conversation you want to ignore. Or maybe it's to do the hard work of forgiveness. Or maybe it's just to take the next step forward in vulnerability and accountability. Maybe it's just to begin that practice of regularly, meet, um, regularly confessing to one another. Maybe you want to get together with two or three people from your community once a week, once a month, once a, whatever you So as scary as community is for all sorts of reasons, individualism, idealism, intimidation are just three out of many. It is Jesus' school of love. Community is where we learn to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Why don't you stand? We'll minister to one another. Can we have the worship band back?